Hey beautiful, for the next few weeks, we shall explore feminism and emancipation of women from oppression, be it mental, sexual, or societal oppression. Girl, we are digging in. Nokwanda Dlamini, a human capital consultant, kicks us off with a lively and insightful discussion around African women and activism. You are listening to the Africana Woman Podcast, and I'm your host, Chulu. Every week, I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. I hope you will join me on this journey of discovery, revelation, and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie. It may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. So I'm a closet feminist. I just discovered this. <laughs> I have never called myself a feminist. And yes, and yet I feel quite strongly about justice for all. I won't lie. I'm not the first person that would hit the streets uh, in protests and marches, but I do believe in educating my sphere of influence and in lobbying. I also think that this podcast has made me wear the feminist badge more boldly. It has also made me deeply contemplate how African women can be emancipated from systems of oppression. And I have come to conclude that the only person who can emancipate you as an African woman is yourself. You have to decide that you are not less than. You have to decide that you are worthy of what you want. You have to decide that you are capable of achieving what you set your mind on. You have to decide that the way you show up in the world teaches the world how to treat you. Today's conversation with Nokwanda Dlamini is so fitting because we discuss African women's relationship with activism. Basically, when you decide that you will not tolerate certain behaviors and certain actions, and you know you are worthy of better, what are the next steps? Nokwanda is the current curator of the Global Shapers community, Mbabane Hub, and firmly believes that we should always speak up about injustice, advocate for social change, and find ways to give back. She also serves on the board of directors for the first male mentoring organization in Eswatini, which specializes in behavior change interventions with men and boys. Nokwanda is passionate about gender equity and inclusion, sustainable development, and destigmatizing mental health in the workplace. Please enjoy my conversation with Nokwanda. Okay, so Nokwanda, what is activism? Explain that to us. Yo, um, <laughs> um, so I think the textbook definition <laughs> goes along the lines of, I mean, just finding a cause that you believe in and fighting for its, you know, 
making sure that that is entrenched in society. But I think maybe I can start from the beginning in terms of my sort of journey with not journey, mm. just weird. But you know how I became, I think, an accidental activist is um, so there are different things that I would. Okay, let me start from a. Actually, there was an article that came out in in one of our national newspapers. Um, Okay, so in general, um, GBV and Eswatini is something that is quite like ridiculously common and pervasive. And so there was an article that came out on a Saturday newspaper where this man who was dating a girl who was still in high school, I think she's 17 or 18 during her last year of high school. And this guy was well above the girl's age. Um, she broke up with him. And then I guess he couldn't take the... the what do you call it? Rejection. And so he stabbed her 18 times. um, And she obviously, you know, died in that way. And so the way that the newspaper reported about it was in a, in a way they, they made it, they framed it as if it's a love story that went wrong. And they even had a picture of the guy and a picture of the girl and they put, they captioned him Romeo and she was Juliet. And I was like, what, what the hell do you mean? This is not a love story. This is a murder. And you can't like, you know, put that on the front page of, of a national newspaper and expect us to consume this garbage. So I basically went all out, like, you know, spoke to the editor, the managing editor of the newspaper, the ombudsman of our, you know, I guess the guy who, adjudicates any issues that you have like media complaints um and the end result to cut a long story short was that the newspaper issued a retraction and apologized um but obviously that's not enough so what else we have had to do is to make sure that journalism students first of all are taught sort of respectful or how do i say it like journalism that is responsible and mm-hmm. um, that also there's more like better editing of, of the newspaper. Like where was the editor and the copywriter when this thing was approved to go to print? So yeah, it's just, that was sort of where I, you know, noticed something was wrong and I took a stand and I, you know, made a difference about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, once you start seeing injustices, it's like, you can't unsee it. You just start seeing wrong things everywhere. And now you're the resident fighter for every issue because there's just so many things that are wrong and need to be fixed. Yeah, yeah. When was this? When was this article published? This was during the, I don't remember the exact date. Um, I can send you, I still have pictures actually of it. Um, but it was during the, the lockdown, so post between March and now. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, that is very um, disturbing to hear about. And the fact that it's being, cons- that, you know, it's being forced for people to consume that. And, um, you know, where, other, where others are, uh, you know, believe that that type of behavior is normal. And then it just reinforces that type of, you know, behavior. And I think, yeah, that's very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Media has like such a critical role to play in in shape society and values and the morals and telling us what's right and wrong. Because in in one story, you can either report it, you know, factually, or you can report it in the sensationalist way, or you can like take a stand and like try to persuade people towards a certain you know direction. And so I felt like the the way that they were using their platform was just not constructive. Appropriate. 
yeah, yeah. So what role do you think um, we as African women should play in activism? Um, I think we have already been playing quite a big role, actually, in activism, just as an African woman historically. Um, well, not me personally, but African women in history definitely are, are the change makers, the, the people who who make a difference. And I think for us in this generation as African women, we really have a huge role to play. And it's made a little bit easier by technology and the fact that we can easily you know, have this conversation and, and it's disseminated to so many people at the same time. But um, yeah, I think African women have a lot more of, of space to play and make a difference than they have actually been making use of. So, yeah, I just feel like as African women, we definitely still have a, a, a large role to play in terms of taking up our space. And also, I'm quite happy about the fact that, or at least what I've seen is that even the older generation, our mothers, who in, in the past would probably feel like they don't, you know, the man is the one. Once he's decided, it's been sorted. And, you know, so some of these things that, you know, they sort of believed even their attitudes are shifting and definitely in the conversations that I will have with my mother now, it's like, she's not the same person that she was a few years ago. So I think, yeah, definitely African women have a huge role to play and it's constantly changing as our attitudes and our behaviors just, you know, as we become more and more comfortable in our voice and our ability to have the space and just knowledge that you are allowed. It's fine. (laughs) Mm, mm. So what do you think are different forms of activism um, that people can uh, participate in? Because I feel like, you know, there's tip- that typical role of, oh, picket fencing, <laughs> you know, you've got your cardboards and you're out there, you know, what we see in movies or, um, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement. So do you know, what are forms of activism that women can participate in? I think there are, there are many different forms. And even if you use that example of yours of the Black Lives Matter movements, I mean, there are the people at the forefront who are marching and in numbers and actually visible. But then there's also the people on the sidelines who are giving them water. There are the people who are in their homes who are retweeting what it is that they're doing and liking and sharing it and making sure that... Um, you know, the word is spread. There's also people who are using their skills. So, for example, lawyers and, you know, human rights defenders who are activists in that way. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely different ways that we can we can make a difference as females. I think it's just up to each sort of individual to find out which space makes the most sense for them and also is safest because I think you know, with this Black Lives Matter movement, the fact that it was going on at the same time as the global pandemic made it very difficult for a lot of people to um, show their support for the movement and just be a part of it. So, for example, I have a friend who is in the States and she is um, she's an African female and she obviously, you know, believes in Black Lives Matter and supports the movement. But she couldn't go out there to, you know, be counted and be one of the numbers because she's there on a student visa and she doesn't want to get caught up in anything that will, you know, land up with her getting thrown out of the country. But then, you know, you can still donate to the causes. You can still like I said, support on social media, you know, explain to white people why Black Lives Matter, although I mean, really, how much explaining can we do? But yeah, there are different ways. 
<laughs> yeah. And I mean, even with your example uh, that you spoke about at the, you know, at the start of the conversation where you said that, you know, you went directly to the, um, you know, to the source of the problem and, you know, started uh, having conversations with the editor, with the people in the newspaper and really just working from that um, grassroots um, place, I think is also very um, powerful as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we really shouldn't discount the role of the media because um, so I wrote to them, yes. And then I shared the letter on social media and it got so many likes and retweets. And I think it was that attention that they then saw that, okay, this is an issue that clearly a lot of people feel the same way. So then it's Mm. the thing. I mean, I've never written to them before, but I don't know, you know, if they would have even responded or, you know, taken it up as seriously if it didn't have the backing of the numbers of other people who had liked and reposted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I found with um, activism is the stereotype that it's not necessarily, um, you know, safe. It can be dangerous. You know, you can end up being thrown in jail and, um, you know, there's um, life threats. People get, you know, their lives get threatened in different forms and, Um, I think this is a deterrent for people to actually want to participate or, you know, um, show their support uh, openly. (laughs) So what would you um, say in in that regards to encouraging people um, to find their voice in activism and women in particular? Yeah, I think what you're saying is very true because even with us when... um, you know, we're marching for, if it's like students are marching because they haven't received their um, pocket money for the semester and the semester is almost over and our government, you know, the government sponsors students. And literally the first thing that you see are these huge police tankers, policemen, and they are, you know, when they wear those vests and they're carrying their guns mm-hmm. and it's like, literally there's no need for all of this intimidation on students who are asking for something that you guys said you're going to give them. So, um, I think safety definitely is something that is um, a concern, especially as a woman. Um, but I think the, the, the key to this, at least for me, is just finding different ways of, of doing it. I mean, it doesn't have to be the going out and marching physically in person. It can be the persuading and the lobbying behind closed doors. It can be the writing numerous letters to you know people who are responsible for these things and who are in a position of decision making and can actually make a difference so yeah i think that there are many ways of doing it so it doesn't have to be that one approach where you feel like your safety is compromised it could always just be you finding your own voice and activism and finding a way to make a difference in a way that is still safe and you make sure that your security is preserved still Mm-hmm. Earlier you had mentioned that um, African women historically have been, you know, change makers. Uh, could you give us some examples for people that are not necessarily well versed? Yeah, so I think, okay, so from a Southern African perspective, I mean, we have, um, so there's a Queen Nandi in, in Southern Africa, there's in, in the West, there's so many, so many women who made a difference. I don't know their names off the top of my head right now, they're escaping me, but I think definitely us leaning into our history and understanding that the story that we've been told in terms of how Africa 
you know, women's role in, in the differences that have happened on this continent is sort of downplayed when we read our history and the way that we understand it. So we need to know that, you know, African females have not always been passive in, in things that have happened in history. And so this is something that, yeah, I've even had to have these conversations with my mother where it's like, you know, the traditionalist sort of Christian perspective gets to be challenged by live examples of women who made a difference. And just by mm-hmm. raising the and pointing out and saying that actually this isn't something that um, that I can tolerate. Yeah. Well, I think the one that stands out to me the most, especially from the Southern African context, is Winnie Mandela. Um, and, you know, how she kept um, Nelson Mandela's name alive, basically, <laughs> when he was in prison, you know, for all those years. And, you know, just making sure that what he stood for was something that she continued to um push for and to fight for and um i think that's like one of the the i think that's the first one that comes to mind when i think of women being activists yeah that's that's a quite recent example i was digging like deep into my history but yeah winnie mandela is definitely an example of a woman who you know stood up for what she believed in and then also you know what happened to her is just something that you know i think it's just ridiculous and it's the reason why so many people don't want to get involved with you know things like this and activism because it's like okay look at even the greatest how they you know how things ended up for them yeah yeah well i think just explain a little bit what happened to her for people that are not necessarily familiar because i can see people that are not from southern africa on the conversation um, so I think for me, my key takeaway in the Winnie Mandela story, okay, fine, I think she is a hero and, and, a, and a female in her own right. But I do think that the ANC wronged her by, first of all, not giving her the position and the powers that she she needed and just sort of sidelining her, her and the movement of, of females and prioritizing, I guess, just getting over this one, you know, sort of hurdle of apartheid, but not you know, intersecting it with the female struggle and making sure that everyone sort of gets over the same, the same path, you know, gets over the line at the same time. So I was reading a book of hers, actually, I don't know what it's, 491 days, um, I think. And then there's also another one that was written by Sisong Simang, which really like looks at the story from her perspective. And even um, with the soccer boys club that she had started in Johannesburg and how like they made it seem like this, it was something that it really wasn't. And um, her relationship with Dalimpofu was also like something that people got involved in and were accusing her. And I mean, if your husband is in jail for so many years, what do you expect from a woman? And then, to then crucify her and, you know, once her... Oh, Sips is giving me a live example from, from Swaziland, Guamile, who was the queen regent. So that's basically the caretaker once, like, if the king is still too young to, to actually be a king. Oh, and I see. Okay. A nation at large by fighting for education. Yeah, so she is definitely a, a homegrown example. Just history is littered with so many of these different women who have made a difference and have been activists in their own right and have passed the baton on to us. Mm. But you know what I find, though? Um, especially when I, when I look at the history that I learned here in Zambia, 
the history doesn't necessarily talk about you know the female um heroines it talks about the male heroines and how they were fantastic and you know <laughs> but you don't actually read these stories about how women made an impact i think to be yeah, honest i I think maybe there was just one person like we we learned about Queen Nandi um who's um uh, from South Africa um the Zulu tribe but within Zambia like it's very hard pressed to actually find oh let's talk about this uh female person that had such an important impact for the nation it's always very biased towards how the men have been pushing forward society Mm. and i think another thing though is that if a female is to be like revered and thought of as somebody who is influential and powerful she has to have done like ridiculously great things whereas if a man does something even a fraction of that the woman's work he is hailed as being someone who's like super so it, i mean it's it's also just like the way that we think about the things that women do versus the things that men do where you look at and say okay you know he you he brought Siswati into the school and so it's like oh my god he's the one who made us learn our language and then the woman needs to have you know literally brought education itself for her to be celebrated yeah so sip i don't know sip she's uh, her comment says uh, unfortunately we don't have much written about women in history and if it's if it is it's from a white man's perspective oral history is very unreliable so we need to work on writing our own stories i totally agree what are your thoughts i mean i definitely agree obviously but i think that also this this white man's narrative is just something that really just grinds my gears because so i've been on a on a quest where i'm reading only female um authors and they must just be african for i think the past 2 years and literally mm-hmm. there's, there's no point in time where i don't have a book to read because there's so many of them that are out there mm-hmm. well not not enough obviously but still uh, there's just so many books by african women and i think it's also um an issue of who which books get celebrated which books get publicized you know you really need to source and go to like the huge bookstores to find a selection of african you know literature and history and fiction and things like that so i think it it mm. is the case of writing our own stories but it's also a case of like making sure that they are published and accessible in the same way that white men's stories are Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, can you tell us some of your favorite writers, like female African writers? <laughs> Obviously, Chimamanda is number 1. So I'm reading this book, um and it's by a Nigerian called Ayobami Adebayo. Um so I also like Titi Dangaremba. Um yeah, any female who's African to be honest, just write your book, I'll read it. <laughs> okay. And um the what are what have you noticed in terms of the topics of what they're writing about is it um fiction is it you know uh narratives of what's going on in society what do you what do you see as um a theme that's flowing through many of the current um authors It's varied, but I think there is definitely a lot of sort of activism in their writing because you see the intersection of gender, of race, um of their everyday struggles and the way that they're written I really like 
how um, especially this book that I'm reading is written. It's it's in a, a very funny way, but you know a joke that like teaches you something where it's like funny, but not funny. So I, I really like that, like play on words and bringing, you know, societal issues to the forefront in a way that is easily consumable without it feeling like, okay, this person is here to push their agenda, you know? Mm, mm, mm. So do you... Me right now, no, I'm not very good at reading <laughs> at this particular time. <laughs> I am, I, I'm a podcast junkie. So if you give me a podcast, like I will listen because then I can do like multitasking. So that's what I like to do. <laughs> but podcast by African women, I haven't really seen a lot of those. Mm, yeah, I have just jumped into this world of podcasts. And I'm trying to, I guess, navigate my way around, um, you know, where can we actually find African podcasts? Um, Because, I mean, I've registered my, for example, my podcast on platforms that are, I guess, more popular in, um, in the West. But... Uh, you know, to actually find um, podcasts that are homegrown um, from people on the continent and, you know, where can we access them um, is an, uh, an ongoing, um, I guess, uh, what do you call it? An ongoing uh, project of mine. So I actually found this directory, which has a whole list of um, these different African podcasts. Um, I think it's called um, Africa Podcast. Uh, list. Anyway, I'll put the link in the in the comments. And uh, what I, I I just found it actually I think on Monday. And I want to go through and then just see which ones are still active because I feel also a lot of times people start a podcast and then they don't actually keep up with it or maybe they're not consistent. You know, they the one post was in January and the next one is in in November and you're like, guys, can we have a bit of consistency? You know. <laughs> So <laughs> I don't know. I think podcasts as a as a thing are also just quite new to us. I mean, I, you know, just started listening to podcasts seriously. Like I had the podcast app and I, you know, knew of a few good ones that I'd listened to once I've, you know, gone through Instagram, Twitter, I have nothing else to do. And then I'll listen to a podcast. But I think maybe there's we need to rethink just podcasts in the way that we do them because I think, you know, the average, you know, Liswati doesn't access to podcasts, doesn't know how to download them, subscribe to different channels. So I think, you know, you can have a podcast in, in this format, but then I think you should also, or you could um, try putting it on radio, you know, have your, have your mm-hmm. slot. Where it's also like the radio people don't have to do much because they just plug and play your, your podcast that has already been recorded. And also it can reach so many people, especially like, I don't know how Zambia is in terms of, the media, but for us, broadcasting is still predominantly, you know, taken up by radio. So I think, you know, packaging your podcast for radio could be a way to Africanize it and make sure that it isn't, you know, some of these, like, we can't just plug and play some of these things from yeah. Fortunately. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I That's a good idea. I agree with you. And I think something that I've also been thinking about is how to, to market um, like my particular podcast and make sure that we as Africans are have 
access to it and you know and i think you know if you've seen on my posts what i've been doing is also just you know educating people about what podcasts are you know how you can access them and all of that so i think there's there's a lot it's definitely something that's very new um for us and there's uh, a lot of education that needs to go behind it as well yeah yeah so there you know there's a statement that our late president made which i wanted to uh read to you is paraphrased so he says that um educated people are the worst kind of um citizens <laughs> just flow with me because they are not willing to stand up for justice because of the fear of going to prison so basically what he was saying is you know you have people we send people abroad and you know they get all this education but then when they come back they just come and live this you know um quiet small life because they they just want to remain comfortable and not necessarily um you know be activists or um fight for what they see is obviously wrong what are your thoughts on that i mean i think definitely so just this afternoon actually i was at a conference where our there's this company called ESGM Eswatini Sexual and Gender Minorities so it's like a consortium of LGBTQI+ you know people they have this annual conference and they had asked that I join them and talk to them about intersectionality and i think this is one of the things that like kept on coming up is that like how do we deal with so there are obviously people who okay let me go back to the beginning so the there's the company is is being denied registration by our government because in the missions and the things that they say they want to do is um you know protect lgbtqi people and in the past those lgbtqi issues have been hidden under like you know healthcare or you know human rights or whatever they disguise it as but not homosexuality so you know on the backdrop of this whole movement um now they they had this conference today where they had um different people you know come and just talk to them and they you know were all just interacting and and discussing this and this is one of the things that came out is that they have people who either believe in their cause and are part of the movement or they have people who strongly oppose and feel like you know their religion and culture and da 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 whatever um But then there's also like a huge majority of the regular Swazis who just don't care about any of these issues and these are like constitutional matters that are being challenged in court and the Swazis just don't care and most of the time it's the people that your late president was describing educated middle class i have my 8 to 5 my 2.4 kids you know i have no no time for any other issues and you know happily married and everything is hunky dory so i mean i think that's that's um a question that we constantly need to ask not i don't know what the answer to this is but basically we need to make use of the fence sitters and the people who haven't picked a side or are just not involved in the struggle at all because i think you know literally you, you need the numbers and especially for them being such a small population or at least the ones that we know of seem like they are um a small number of people and you know it's very hard for them to find support because find there are some allies like you know us but really the key thing that i think is the one that will unlock the actual change is getting the fence sitters the educated 2.4 kids and a dog you know people to really 
get into it and decide are they for are they against but you can't just be a bunch of people sitting there with no opinion mm. or you know helping to shape our future in any way mm. what do you think um is a barrier for the fence sitters though why why do you think they haven't taken a side they're scared. I mean, I think your president was right. Like, it, it is, you know, when you have a lot to lose. Um, yeah, I think they're scared. And I think I also was a fence sitter for quite some time where it was just like, my life is comfortable. Everything is, you know, there's no reason for me to be concerned with something that doesn't concern me. Um, until, you know, you really just start to be awake and alive to the injustices that are actually happening. And like I said, when we started the conversation, I feel like once when you take a stand on something and you see that this thing is not right and you do something about it and you get, you know, positive outcomes and it changes, it's literally like you start seeing issues everywhere. And it's like, okay, this is wrong. This needs to be fixed. Like, I have found myself deep within this LGBTQI plus movement as well, which isn't, I don't identify as any of those alphabet letters, but I I, I, I identify I know that you know if somebody's rights is being trampled on I can't just afford to be here breathing air for free and enjoying it when other people are suffering so I don't know what it will take to unlock that in other people to be honest Mm -hmm. from your perspective as somebody who has um, you know um, studied psychology what do you think uh, what would you advise for people that have got these very strong opinions? So you're either for or against any particular topic. And I think a lot of times people fear to have difficult conversations and to, um, you know, just fear that conflict or the results of that conflict and what it might spark. But what would you advise in terms of, um, you know, bringing together two different opposing um, groups to have a constructive conversation. I actually like those opposing views because I think, you know, it's, it's really good when somebody has an opposing view and they voice it and you're able to teach them those that are teachable and those that are not. But I think really what, what the question that you asked before is where the, the real danger lies is the fence sitters, the people whose position you're not really sure of. Um, So I think in terms of bringing people with opposing views to the table, I don't know, there are different forums and different nonprofits that, you know, try to open up these conversations. Um, So I'm part of the Global Shapers, which is one of those um, who has like a group that has kulumas. And, you know, we talk about different topical societal, you know, developmental issues and we bring people with different views together to discuss it. Um, I think every real change, you know, begins with a conversation and it's very easy to get tired of talking to people who don't want to listen or who just refuse to understand what it is that you, you know, you're trying to say, but also I think, you know, it's important for us to continuously try and have those conversations, try to teach and don't get tired because um, so many things that there's nothing that you just decided, you know, to have a conversation with someone and then they change their mind on that day. It's not going to happen. Mm. like long-held beliefs where there's tradition and, and culture and even religion linked. It's very hard to, those three, are like, literally, it's, you can't you can't have a conversation with someone who strongly believes that um, their culture or their tradition or their religion is being tested if they, if they believe in or subscribe to your point of view. Mm. Mm. 
I think um, something that intrigued me in um, what you you said earlier was that your mom, as an example, is not the same person that she was some years ago. Um, one, I, I, I'm curious to know, you know, how, uh, like, you know, the types of conversations that you've had with her, do you think that the conversations that you have had with her have influenced how she has changed um, most recently? And I'm sure it's like over years and stuff, but um, I just want to, you know, know a little bit more about um, how that has um panned out for for her or for you both yeah i think it's the conversations that my sisters and i have had with her but i think it's also just like her seeing and understanding the societal shifts that are just happening around her and realizing that her perspective which she thought was the predominant one is really isn't uh well maybe it still is but the fact that there are so many other voices are saying something different that she may want to consider so, for example, she really, really, like, when we were young, just did not think that, you know, homosexuality is something that is proper, that, you know, you can't a man and a man, a woman and a woman. It's not godly. You know, this is not something that is, was ordained by God that we need to do, da-da-da-da-da. You know, when someone starts going, they just go. And so I think... um as times have changed, she's really gotten to understand and see and know people who are um, LGBTQI plus and, and see that literally this is the same person as me with the same issues that I have. And it's just that their sexual orientation is different. Um, so I think it, it's it's persuading in, in terms of words, but it's also actions and seeing it live is different. Mm. It's persuasion, I think, enough. Yeah, I think that's that's what really probably changed for her i haven't really asked her how her opinion has changed i don't want to open up that can of worms but yeah i think that's that's what i think unlocked it because you know you'd have conversations and somebody looks like they understand and then the next time you talk it's like they're still quoting that same bible verse um so i i think just society and seeing what's happening around us is what what really made the difference yeah okay all right so we are um coming to the end but i just wanted to hear from you um what is something that you would want to say to any african woman that is thinking about being an activist in whatever form it is but what advice would you give her I'd say do it. And I'd say that, you know, your voice is not small enough. You know, you're not alone, first of all. And whatever little action that you think you're taking, it's is significant and it is going to make a difference. And I think, you know, a lot of us are actually activists and we don't even realize that we're activists. You know, just that small thing where you correct someone who... Um, if somebody identifies as a female and you say, you know, he, when you, and then she's like, no, actually it's a she. And you're like, oh, sorry, she, and you know, that, you know, you are changing your behavior and I don't know, correcting things that need to be fixed and just sorting out injustices. Even if it seems like a teeny tiny, you know, difference, we are all making a difference, especially when it comes to the female, female movement and, and feminism. So many different ways mm-hmm. are not being documented documented and recorded recognized um when they actually should be but yeah so i think we're all a little activists inside 
please just bring it out. <laughs> we need it out there. <laughs> just let everybody see it a bit more, even if it's baby skips. <laughs> so, um, are there any uh, books that you would recommend or any resources that you would recommend for somebody who wanted to maybe research more about activism or, you know, or even just like the authors you've read who you've seen are, are um, you know, great activists? Mm. So I think the one resource that I would point people to is a TED Talk on intersectionality by the woman who actually coined the term. So I, for oh. a very long time, in fact, I'm still not interested in, you know, the jargon of this is the name and what's what and what's what. But so I stumbled on this TED Talk as I was doing my research for the session that we had today. And what basically this, um, her name is escaping me. But if you just look for TED Talk on intersectionality, she's the lady that actually coined the term and she's a lawyer. And she explains it very well as to why our mm-hmm. different... Um, identities intersect in ways that we can use constructively to join and actually fight for change and make a difference. Um, so I think I'd, I'd have people look at that TED talk, first of all, because, you know, in as much as you identify as how you identify as, there are things that link us together that we can use. So that's what I would give as a resource. Okay, that's a good starting point. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we think that our differences are so many, but we also have so many similarities as well. And um, I think definitely in trying to, you know, um, find humanity in each other to be able to find those things that are um, that we are we have in common or are similar uh, is a good starting point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. I would ask, you know, anyone who's listening or who's watching to just find a course that you believe in, like, and just try and be a part of it and make a difference. And even if you don't believe in it, help the people who are trying to make a difference some way or the other. Like, I feel like, you know, we really can't afford to have people who are just in the middle. They don't think it's right. They don't think it's wrong. They're just going about their daily lives. And I think those are the ones that, you know, we need. So, yeah, I just beg people to please get involved. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining me. I know we've had some technical challenges, both in Eswatini and in Zambia. We still made it work. (laughs) And uh, thank you so much for um, be, uh, you know, just being here and talking to us about uh, African women and activism and how it's important that you know, our voices are heard and that we are, um, but we can be change makers. We don't have to think that um, you know, even if we do one small thing that it's not gonna make an impact. You know, any little thing helps. So for me, this has been an amazing um, conversation and thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Chulu. You made this lively conversation. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Bye. Fence sitters, we need you to take a side. Being passive is detrimental to society. It's the reason why positive change does not happen or doesn't happen fast enough. We need the numbers. We need you to be counted. 
all these issues that plague women persist because you are not willing to make a stand. You are not willing to have difficult conversations and you are not willing to be uncomfortable for a while. Sometimes one could argue that the number of causes to support can be overwhelming and you don't know which one to support. So all you have to do is pick one. You don't need to save the whole world. We just need you to pick one cause and be an ally. So my prayer for you is that you see an injustice and fail to unsee it again. Take a stand. You can start with supporting women. Please find Nokwanda on social media at kwanda underscore D. Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Thank you, dear listener, for making us part of your day. And I truly appreciate you. If you liked this episode, please do share it with a friend. You can also find me on Instagram at Design and say hello, I always respond. Until next week, I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Volendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.olendocreative.com.